if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now, nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, the 19th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Good news. Good news for you. We are just two days away from the coronavirus being eradicated from the inside of bars and restaurants. Right now, it's only eradicated from the patios. You walk inside and whoom, you're about to get swarmed by COVID. But uh, come Thursday, Governor DeWine and the walking lab coat have determined that you can go inside the restaurant, so the COVID won't be a threat there anymore. So how about that? Just two days away from the eradication of COVID-19 on the inside. That sounds about insane, doesn't it? Yeah, that's because it is, as are all of the decisions being made by our leadership, not just in this state, but in states around the country. All right, if it's Tuesday, it must be Kersenow Day. You know how that works. Peter Kersenow with us once again. He is, of course, a Cleveland attorney, member of the United States. It sounds like he's playing billiards, too. Um, he is a, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's a columnist for the National Review. He is, what else, a speaker, an author, and uh, he's also the host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Pete, how are you? Doing great, Bob. 117 days until we have pro football. Um, and I'm hoping that we get baseball a lot sooner than that. And uh, maybe they'll finish up the NBA season. I know the NASCAR is opening up. You know, uh, it's about time. It really is. Yeah, I'm hopeful for high school football. I just asked uh, Larry Household, the speaker, if he thinks uh, we should be opening the schools in full. And that would mean with extracurriculars this fall. He says yes. He's the uh, leader of the uh, Ohio House Republicans. But I don't know that anybody's going to be able to move the lab coat or uh, Governor DeWine off of that. What troubles me about this, Bob, you and I have a little bit different view on this, which is a little bit unusual, but um, I still believe that uh, DeWine is well-intended, but as I've said before, DeWine and a lot of these folks who may not be well-intended seem not to make the adjustments to newfound data and also acknowledge that given the lack of data they have in certain quarters that the expansive shutdown orders that they had undertaken originally um, you know, might have been too broad, that, you know, you look at the economic devastation that's caused, and it seems to, again, you know, it's difficult to compare. You don't compare lives to jobs, but this is a continuum. This is not simply just one issue that we're supposed to look at, and that's why you don't leave policy decisions that are this profound 
solely to some bureaucrat or no matter how brilliant that bureaucrat may be or someone who is dedicated only to one narrow particular topic such as medicine. Uh, There are a host of public policy issues that need to be entertained, but it's really extraordinary to me that you've got a ton of incoming data and the incoming data started to emerge as early as March, but we were still wedded to this initial model of you know, 2 million deaths and, you know, just incredible amount of illness all over the place. And then the models were adjusted and continue to be adjusted. And they continue to be adjusted, and yet no one's making adjustments for those adjustments. Exactly. And when you look at, when you look at, so, and, and, and Bob, this is really profound. I, I, I mean, a number of people have said this. This is not rocket science. But apparently it is to a lot of elected officials. That's rocket science. It's, it, the millions, the tens of millions who are unemployed are saying, what about us? And it bothers me also that our elected officials issues, issue these dictates, not appreciating that the American people are pretty smart. Give us some latitude to make our own choices. Some people will decide and some business owners will decide on their own for a variety of reasons that maybe they can't open up right now. Maybe they're not positioned to open up. I happen to trust the vast majority of business owners to know how to do this much better than somebody stationed in Columbus who's never run a business and never run any one of the hundreds of different types of businesses that there are that have different concerns, different proscriptions, different means by which they can protect their their employees and their customers. And yet we've got this one size, well, that's not fair to say one size fits all. They've tried to modify it a little bit for uh, different businesses, but it is largely something that is way too expansive, way too strict, and again, doesn't agilely make, uh, or with some agility, make adjustments for changing circumstances. And, and I hate to be uh, kind of just on this rant, but when I look at, I've looked at tons of data, and I'm, you know, look, I spent five years in Statistics 101, at least that's what it seemed like. But most of us are at least smart enough to start to look at evidence and say, well, wait a minute here, uh, what are we doing? And we discussed this, or we touched upon it a little bit uh, just last week, and I know I've caught some of your show from time to time when, when I have an opportunity to do so and I'm not working, if I'm in the car or something, and I know you... When are you not working? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Strangely? Well, you know, things, things are pretty... If we're labor and employment lawyers, we're, we're pretty busy during this time, as you might imagine, but, um, you know, because of all kinds of other things slowing down, you know, I've got a little bit more time to kind of look at data a little bit more closely, which is dangerous, um, but, you know, last week I mentioned Minnesota data, and I will take a look at some other state data and some national data to the extent you can, you can uh, uh, get it. And it is becoming so abundantly clear what's going on in terms of the risk. I know you've talked about it, a lot of people have talked about it, but it's really just stunning to see that we know who's at risk, and yet we haven't done anything to kind of segregate that portion of the population, make sure that they're completely protected, and then let others who are at, I mean, really, the, the type of risk we're talking about for your average, say, 35-year-old with no underlying conditions is like getting struck by lightning. And that's only a slight exaggeration, Bob, only a slight exaggeration. Uh, listen to this. Now, you know, I've looked at some of the Ohio data. 
uh, Minnesota has disaggregated the data. You know, I've, I've told you about the, I like to look at Powerline because it has a daily update. Today's Powerline update with respect to Minnesota. Now, understand, this is peculiar to Minnesota. The demographics of Minnesota are slightly different than Ohio, but it's not so divergent that lessons can't be learned. In fact, it's pretty close. Now, in Minnesota yesterday, very good news, they only had nine deaths compared to 22 the day before. Of those nine, listen to these demographics and please, Governor DeWine and Amy Acton, listen to this and, and tell me or tell business owners why they should go out of business based on this. Of those nine, three were in their 90s, three in the 80s, two in their 70s, one in uh, their 50s. Eight of the nine were in nursing homes at the time they expired. In fact, 81% of all people who expired in Minnesota were in nursing homes at the time they died. Here's the key. 98.46%. You're talking virtually everybody. 98.46% had severe underlying conditions at the time they died. 76% of those hospitalized with COVID had severe underlying conditions at the time they were hospitalized. And when you think about that, there's only approximately, you know, maybe one out of every eight people in the United States who have the severe underlying conditions of diabetes, hypertension, all the other things, cancer, you name it. So we're looking at a very never, narrow sliver of the population, whether it's in Minnesota, Ohio, New York, varies from state to state slightly, but not significantly. And that narrow cohort of people who are in their 80s and 90s, remember in Minnesota, the average age of a decedent is 83, which is one year beyond the ordinary life expectancy. So what you really have here are individuals who are sick. They're in nursing homes. They're there for yep. a reason. They're old and they are sick, and COVID is the thing that may be the last thing that knocks them over the edge. They are probably going to be leaving this earth soon, and I don't mean to be callous about that. No, of course I'm not. It's reality, though. It, it truly is. But LeBron James isn't going to be dying of COVID, uh, and most of the rest of us aren't going to be dying of COVID. It, this is extraordinary, but tens of millions of us are being unemployed because we've taken this cookie-cutter approach, or when I say we, our elected representatives, to a large extent, have taken this cookie-cutter approach and have said, we're going to lock everybody down. This is nuts on steroids. I said this last week. I maintain it now. Maybe I'll be wrong. But I do believe this is the biggest peacetime public policy blunder in history, not just American history, but in history. And I mean peacetime, and it's a public policy blunder. Tens of millions across the, the country, hundreds of millions across the world are being thrown out of work, and there are health care implications to that also. We know all those things and the domino effect of that, but why are elected representatives with the benefit of, they've got staffs that can look at this data, they have staffs who can analyze this data. They have got advisory boards, and they've had several months now to make adjustments, and they have gone in really the opposite direction. They seem to have, you know, raised the bar. We've got people in New York who can't even go to the beach. How nutty is that? Same with California. Well, 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 hold on. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It was, it was Los Angeles, Garcetti, who said, you can go to the beach as long as you're in the wet sand. If you're in the wet sand, it's good, but you cannot lay in the dry sand. Apparently, the COVID uh, lives on the dry sand, but not on the wet sand. He literally said that. Uh, I don't know if you saw it a couple of days ago, Peter, uh, but he literally said, I, I we're going to allow that. the beaches open to a certain degree.
degree. If you're working out or running in the in the surf or something like that, that's okay. But you can't just lay in the in the dry sand I, in the sun. Getting a tan you know, under UV rays, which kill coronavirus. Exactly right, and you know. <laughs> I know your listeners who are savvy, because I get their emails all the time, have come to the same conclusion that many of us have, you and I have, and that is we are seeing starkly and in real time the boneheaded and almost inexplicably obtuse decisions that our elected representatives are making on this one issue. Believe me, when it comes to other issues, this is the kind of thought process they're employing toward those issues. Now, those issues aren't as important. They're not as consequential. But when you want to know how we are so screwed up in terms of our fiscal management, the treasuries of various uh, – uh, uh, consider for a moment. The states that right now are in horrible financial conditions and were in such horrible financial conditions well before coronavirus appeared on the scenes – are the same states that have the most draconian lockdown measures. There's something about that. That is, they have made stupid decisions in the past that have gotten them into this kind of trouble with respect to their finances and other things, and they're making stupid decisions about coronavirus. And stupid is not strong enough adjective. I am not, uh, this is not a matter of politics for me in terms of, yes, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, you know, I think many of the blue states are making big, bad decisions. This is about making smart decisions on behalf of your constituents and so few people in uh, positions of power doing that. Peter Kirsten, I was our guest this morning. It's 1021. We're going to take a time out here. We're going to pivot when we come back away from the virus and to, well, a different kind of virus. The mainstream media and the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C., they are taking another run at a coup against the President of the United States. Peter's got thoughts on that that he'll share next. AM 1420, The Answer. separated all right ten twenty five onward with peter kirsten now joining us on am 1420 the answer thanks so much for listening to the authority it is uh pete it is uh it's happening again it's it's deja vu almost all over again uh they tried and failed the first time with impeachment uh they did of course impeach in the house with their numbers but uh failed to uh to uh, convict the president and they just won't take the president is the president for an answer uh, two questions here, and we're going to expand upon this past this segment. Number one is, um, why do you suppose that in May of an election year, Jerry Nadler is starting to rattle his uh, saber again about uh, potential impeachment, that they are uh, talking about opening up another impeachment investigation in response to a number of things from the documents that the president won't show to, uh, to uh, the coronavirus response? And number two, Peter, what is your read on Attorney General William Barr dismissing President Trump's uh, rebranding of the Russia investigation as a criminal plot engineered by Barack Obama? There's been a ton of evidence since General Flynn's case was exploded uh, to suggest that this went all the way to the top of the Obama administration through the vice president to the president. And Attorney General Barr basically says, yeah, not so much. Uh, he pretty much dismissed it and said, don't expect that there will be investigations of Obama and Biden at all when, uh, when Attorney General Durham, or excuse me, when Prosecutor Durham, uh, presents his findings. 
Yeah, okay, I'll take those in order. Uh, with respect to Nadler, why is he rattling the sabers of impeachment again? Number one, I'm going to be charitable about this. Six months away from I, an I election. Wanna, I, but I want to be accurate, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nadler is an idiot, um, <laughs> and there's no other way of putting it. Yeah, you look, charitable. I, um, I'm, I'm being, I, I would only say something like this about a public figure who has undertaken, because he has run for offense, to take the, the slings and arrows. Um, if you're going to be in that arena, then you should be able to take uh, whatever heat. And that's a mild, frankly, criticism of Nadler. He is an idiot, but he's also a hyperpartisan idiot. And they've got nothing else in their quiver. They have absolutely nothing else. I mean, they're trying to gin up coronavirus, of course, but, you know, that's not Trump's fault. And Trump is, is moving fast and doing everything he can, f- frankly, in a way that I'd never seen and I wouldn't expect other past presidents during my lifetime to have done, because you can almost evaluate how they're going to approach things. And, again, the kind of cookie-cutter approach that politicians all seem to address, but Trump is, he, he always thinks outside the box, and very often uh, his thoughts are very, uh, uh, they're successful in terms of implementing some, some kind of solution. Um, but also, I think there are a lot of reasons why Nadler is doing this, and obviously they, you know, they wanted, they've wanted to take out Trump since even before the election, and we've got evidence to that effect uh, that's copious now, regardless of whether or not the me- mainstream media wants to acknowledge that, because they were complicit in it to a large extent. Mm-hmm. But, Bob, if you had uh, at the top of your party's ticket for president, uh, Joe Biden, you know that there's no way you're going to win the election in November. You've got to find another way of getting a Democrat in that office. And the only other way is by continuing and beating the dead horse of impeachment. And the problem for Nadler, the rest of the Democratic Party, and the media, but I repeat myself, is that this movie has been played so often over such a short period of time that despite their best efforts, despite the media propaganda, people are tired of it. They're saying that, I think they discounted even more readily than they did before. There are a lot of folks that wanted to hold on to the prospect that Trump was a Russian asset or that, you know, in fact, the Ukrainian phone call was some, an impeachable offense. I mean, they held on to that desperately because they hate the guy so much. Uh, but at this point, even the most rabid opponents of Trump and his administration have to acknowledge that this is all theater, and this is just another, uh, frankly, it'll end in failure. Nothing. I, I almost welcome it, though, Peter, yep. and I'm going to interrupt there and ask you to go on the bar side of that on the other side of the news here, but I almost welcome it because I think Kilmeade this morning said it, uh, said it best. You know, you realize they're just inviting the president to gain another 10 approval points yep. Uh, yep. because that's what happened the last time. Every yeah, time they, they go after him with one of these lunacy uh, impeachment, uh, uh, you know, arguments against him, uh, people see through it and people get angry and people show more support for the president. So yeah, I almost well, welcome it. Exactly right. I agree with you. And while the Democrats were focused on impeachment at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, guess what? Coronavirus was entering the United States. They Amen. were so focused on that and they're dismissing it. When Trump mentioned it in the State of the Union address, the response from Pelosi was to rip up the State of the Union address. Those are powerful visuals that are going Amen. to be played during the election. I want to talk about Barr, and I want to talk about where this goes. Lindsey Graham is going to start calling witnesses, apparently, as well, in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, I want to get yeah, your thoughts on all. That. Okay, well, I'm, there you go. There's your teaser. Uh, Peter will explain that comment right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, and the beat goes on. 1037, good morning. 
Appreciate you being here. i got 23 minutes of Outstanding Awesome left for you, and then we're going to turn it over to the awesome stylings of Mike Gallagher. Stay here for Prager and for uh, Dr. G, Sebastian Gorka, Jay Secular Live, Larry Elder. There's no reason to flip the dial anywhere if you truly are interested in the best in conservative news talk and analysis free of buffoonery that you get in other places. Peter Kersenow continues with us now. Pete, uh, a lot to get into here. Um, I'm going to hit this real quick only because of what you teased me with before the break. Um, news is that Lindsey Graham is going to start calling witnesses, including Clapper, including Brennan, and some of the other players in the Obama DOJ and National Security Agency um, uh, that were some of the power brokers when General Flynn uh, was essentially set up and imprisoned through threats of prosecuting his son and more. So Lindsey Graham is supposedly going to be calling people, but one person he's not going to call is Barack Obama. As to unmasking, we'll be asking questions about that regarding General Flynn. But as I said in my statement, no presence above the law, but we do have separations of powers. And I think it would be a bad precedent to compel a former president to come before the Congress. Uh, That would open up uh, a can of worms. And uh, for for a variety of reasons, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. Now, the story, Peter, is that he is seeking broad authority to subpoena a lot of former Obama officials. You don't think that's going to happen? or Because uh, that was your tease there. You said maybe not. And uh, what do you think about him uh, saying that we should not try to subpoena and get Barack Obama to testify? Sure. I'll take the first one first, obviously. The, um, okay. First of all, uh, I like Lindsey Graham as a person. I've met him. I've sparred with him numerous times. Uh, they've been friendly spars. I mean, we've been opposite sides on things like immigration, a whole host of issues. But uh, mm-hmm. I always considered him to be one of the brighter guys in the Senate. Uh, some people may think that's not saying much, but Lindsey Graham's a <laughs> smart guy. Okay, uh, He's a very articulate guy. He may be one of the most articulate senators on our side that we've got, and he's very useful in that respect. But unfortunately, um, he talks a lot and doesn't do much. He keeps saying he's going to be holding hearings. I'm holding, I'm not going to hold my breath. When it happens, I'll say great uh, to the extent, you know, he's holding them. Let's see what happens when he does hold them. But for the last two years, I've been seeing him on various news shows saying, here's what I'm going to ask. Here's what I'm going to do. And he hasn't done it. Um, and that is significant. I don't want to blame somebody when he is, before he's actually, you know, finally done something. If he says he's going to do it, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe this time he's going to do it. But this is not like other circumstances where we expect committees or committee chairs to be holding hearings. We are in the midst of what has been for the last four years. And uh, now I'm using two hyperboles during one show. I called the COVID uh, response the greatest peacetime political blunder, uh, public policy blunder in history. This is unequivocally the greatest political scandal in American history, based on what we know already. This is truly not a a mystery. We know what's transpired to this point, and I bet we've only got 5 to 10 percent of the evidence uncovered thus far. But based on what we know right now, what has happened is extraordinary. The peaceful transfer of power from one administration to the next was sought to be overturned and impeded. Uh, Everyone avoids using the highly charged term coup, and for good reason. You don't Throw that around cavalierly, you know, or casually. Right. But if this doesn't amount to an attempted coup, based on what we know right now, I don't know what does. I looked up the, I had to go back to the dictionary this weekend to look it up to see why am I missing something? Why are people so reluctant to use this term? Well, some of them are. And I, do, I think many people are trying to be prudent. But 
Um, with respect to Lindsey Graham, um, if he holds hearings and he doesn't call Barack Obama, well, let me back up. I think the statement that you don't want to open up a can of worms and call a president or a former president to right. a committee hearing, in most cases, 90% of the cases, 99% of the cases, is the appropriate approach. There's all kinds of reasons why I think that's bad precedent to do something like that. Not just separation of powers. I think that's frankly not the, the, the best argument. But there's a whole host of reasons why that's a bad precedent. And then if you do it, of course, they're going to do it to Trump. Um, but this is a different circumstance. What we had here is, as I said, the greatest political scandal in American history, and it went to the top. We know it went to the top now because we've got released transcripts, so on and so forth. But we knew, Bob, that it went to the top well before that for several reasons. One is you don't try to take out an incoming president or a presidential campaign if you're some lowly FBI agent or even just the FBI director, even in the attorney yeah. general. That kind of move comes from the very top. No one would dare try something like that unless it was blessed from the top. But we've got texts from those bozos, page and struck. And again, I'm using pejoratives, but that's a light pejorative as to what should be applied to those two individuals. They knew precisely what they were doing, and it was despicable. Just because the media won't call it that, or the mainstream media won't call it that, caught that doesn't mean this was just extraordinarily foul on a whole host of levels. But remember some of the texts they had. I mean, they're extraordinary. And this is why it's amazing to me that we are at least two weeks away from the revelation by Rick Grinnell of all the unmaskings and all of the evidence that was uh, revealed in terms of the Michael Flynn prosecution, that on January 5th, there was a meeting among all the top people in the uh, Obama administration, and they were discussing all of this stuff. Not only did Obama know, it appears he was giving direction. We've got the January 20th email, the CYA, mother of CYA memos that uh, Susan Rice emailed to herself even after the inauguration. We've got all this information, and yet the media has not has yet to ask one question at the guy of the center of all this. Again, I go back, think about just the texts that we got a couple of years ago that I'm saying, like, why weren't people asking more questions about this? On, I think it was August 5th of 2016, struck text page and says, the White House is running this. That text alone should prompt a thousand questions from the press to Obama. If you are running it, think about all the things that happened during that, that fall, all the things that were tried in terms of wiretapping, the false FISA applications, all those things, and the White House was running it. Then um, the other text comes back, I believe it was August 8th, just a couple days later, Page says to Strzok, he, meaning Trump, is not going to get elected president, right? And he responds saying, no, no, he won't. We'll stop it. That's just a couple of days after the, pay, the, the text that says the White House is running it. They're saying they will stop it. And now we know Obama was definitely involved from the very beginning. And then oh, just a day after that, um, she says, POTUS wants to know everything we're doing. Okay? Not only are they running it, but they want to know every jot and tittle of what's going on. Mm -hmm. This is extraordinary <laughs> stuff. And then at one point, okay. remember... 
at one point they say, I want to believe that the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office, remember that, that text, that there's no way he gets elected, but I'm afraid we can't uh, take the risk. It's like an insurance policy and in sure. you're you die. Though all those things must be put to Obama in a committee hearing because what just happened begs for a response from the guy who clearly knew about it and without whose approval this thing could not have transpired. This is extraordinary what's happened, and that's why you take an extraordinary step like calling a president. Under any other circumstance, Bob, as I said before, go ahead. Even though that would mean the precedent is now established, and immediately upon a Democratic president uh, taking over uh, with a Democrat Congress and a Democrat Senate, Donald Trump is going to be subpoenaed to talk about a whole lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Bob? I don't think that it's going to require this precedent for Democrats to do that anyway. They're going to do it okay. anyway. That's going Agreed. to happen. But, but, but the point is this. If you cannot, if, if the bar is you can never call, and there's no legal bar to this, by the way, but if the bar is that you can never call a former president to a congressional committee hearing, then if something like this happens again, that means that they can't be called. Where is the deterrent then? If there can never right. be any congressional scrutiny, that's part of what they're doing. They've got an oversight function over the executive. That doesn't mean okay. They let the me let me go let me go from congressional scrutiny, Peter, to uh, DOJ scrutiny because this is the question I asked you previously, and we kind of got away from. Attorney General Barr uh, essentially has said that he disagrees that this goes all the way to the top. President Trump is trying to, and this is the New York Times phrasing, rebrand, but I think he's just making a point that many of us feel. The Russia investigation is a criminal plot engineered by Barack Obama. Attorney General Barr saying on Monday he expected no charges against Mr. Mr. Obama nor Vice President Biden as a result of the investigation currently being conducted by John Durham. So, now, it's one thing for Lindsey Graham to say, no, I don't think we should call him, at least in this setting, but let the DOJ do what the DOJ is going to do. Attorney General Barr, who I think all of us agree has been a very strong friend of justice, not friend of the president, but friend of justice. And that means he has been in the president's corner on a number of things, uh, essentially saying those two are off limits. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I think that Barr understands how politically fraught this is and what damage can be done to the republic. It's one thing to get answers from a president in a Judiciary Committee hearing or Intelligence Committee hearing. It's one thing to do that when all the extant evidence appears to point to an attempt on the part of that person's administration to stage a coup. Okay, hey, look, coup is a is a, uh, a charged word, but you know it's appropriate it's an word in, in this circumstance. Right? Exactly. So <laughs> that's one thing. Um, when you start getting to criminal charges against a president, look, you know me, Bob. <laughs> you know what I think about Barack Obama. Of course. Um, the health of the country is, supersedes this. What I think it's different to have a Judiciary Committee hearing and have all of this exposed. I think the appropriate remedy when we're talking about something of this scale, is a political remedy unless you can point to a specific, well-defined criminal charge that the president is guilty of. And that may be difficult. <clears throat> you know, um, it may be difficult to come up with the appropriate charge. So having said that, I listened to Barr, and I, I believe that he thinks that nothing's going to happen to either Biden or Obama. Okay? Um, but it wasn't certain to me. In other words, it was almost like at this point, 
We don't anticipate that there's going to be any criminal charges leveled against either one of those individuals. Um, And it may have been that he's temporizing for the moment, knowing that if there's any suggestion that they're going after the hallowed Obama, all hell will break loose among the media, even more so than what's going on right now. But I think what he's saying is, look, what we've got right now doesn't amount to a criminal investigation. I think Barr understands the political structure of the United States well enough that the political remedy is what's important about this. We must have a yeah, but but Pete, I have to I have to jump in here because it's not you know politics that sent Mike Flynn to jail and destroyed his life. They said it was criminal, and the actions that they took to make that happen were criminal. Here's the thing: if you think that, I don't mean you, but if, if, if in general sense. If we think that Strzok and Comey and Page and all of you know Clapper and Brennan and everybody else uh, were, were complicit in this, and they were acting in concert with Obama or at Obama's direction, or at the very least with Obama's approval, because he wanted to be kept in the loop, as you've pointed out here. Once that tra- once that chain stops, because you're not allowed to go any further, then there will be no justice for any of them. You know what I mean? If you follow that, I'm not a detective, but if you follow that trail and I go to this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and I'm not allowed to go any further because now we're talking about the health of the republic. If I go a little further, it's going to implicate the president of the United States, and we have to slam on the brakes there, then none of them will be held accountable. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you, Bob. I think that if it were up to me, if I were the Attorney General of the United States, boy, we'd be in bad shape if we were. But (laughs) if we were, I would pursue, pursue a criminal investigation. I think it's one I think we need to know what happened. However, charging a former president as much enmity as I have toward the former president Boy, uh, think about what... But I'm not even saying charge him, you know, because Barr didn't say charge. He said that he doesn't believe there will be a criminal even investigation of either man. I'm not saying get to the charge level, but you got to look into it. With everything you just read to me or reminded me of a few minutes ago uh, about the notes and so on and so forth, it, it, it it should warrant an investigation, but you think that they shouldn't or you don't think they will no, 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 because of the health I, of the Republic, the, you know, the general think, protection I, of the I'm Republic. not convinced they are not going to do it. I listened to okay. Barr's comments, and maybe I'm reading, maybe I'm being too hopeful, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought what he was doing was temporizing, putting a placeholder in there so there's not a whole lot of hue and cry from the media and from the Democrats. I don't think he was issuing a guarantee that Obama and Biden are safe, but I think he may be saying... Maybe legitimately, I, you know, I don't think he, he ever is lying, but I think he is saying, at this point, we haven't initiated an investigation of those individuals, um, number one. And number two is, at this point, there isn't any, any evidence that indicates we're going to be starting one at any time in the near future. But I don't think he's issued a guarantee saying that these guys are in the clear. I don't believe that's the case. Okay. But right now, I believe that Durham may not be looking. I think Durham's got his, his plate full, frankly. Well, yeah, he does. There's no doubt, and so does Barr. And, and and I'm you know I'm I'm hopeful that between the Senate and you know Graham's committee, the Judiciary Committee, and the and the uh, the DOJ, that the individuals we are mentioning, the the Brennans and the Clappers and the Comeys and the Lynches of the world, are going to be called, and their uh, actions are going to be exposed. That's a big part of this. Pete, hang on with me. We'll take our final time out here. I got maybe four minutes on the other side for you to wrap up your thoughts on the ongoing coup, and I think that's a strong word, but it's an accurate word, and we'll be. Bra- Uh, Back to wrap it up with Pete after this.
All right, final segment of the broadcast. It's 1055. I've got about four minutes left for Peter Kirsten now, maybe three and a half to wrap it up. So, Pete, um, do you have faith in either the Department of Justice or the Senate, uh, whether it be, and I know you kind of already expressed skepticism about Graham, so you've probably answered that. Um, let me rephrase. In whom should um, Americans who are concerned about truth, justice, and the defense of the president, in whom should we have the most faith? Well, um, I, I don't mean to be equivocating on this. I tend to think Barr is a much stronger person in that regard than is Lindsey Graham. And, and not to take a swipe against Lindsey Graham, but the reasons I gave before pertain, and that is that I think Lindsey Graham talks a good game, but not much comes of it. And, if, and let's be honest about it. You know, The legislature can't do much more than talk about it, but they can hold hearings, and we haven't yet held hearings. Had the shoe been on the other foot, God forbid, my goodness, the media would have been all over it by now. I mean, it would have been just a, a done deal. But the Democrats hold hearings at the drop of a hat. We're seeing that with Nadler that we just talked about, another impeachment hearing. Are you kidding me? But Republicans, for my lifetime, have been asleep at the switch. They have been reluctant to hold appropriate hearings where necessary. And as a result, the Democrats run roughshod along with their media allies. We have seen the example of Donald Trump who fights and the benefits to the American people as a result of that. All due respect to these folks, the Bushes, you know, Romney, those kind of folks, they, they just roll over and say, kick me again. And when they do that, I think what the American people understand, or at least the supporters of a Bush or a Romney, in this case a Trump, understand that it's not about them. If a Bush rolls over and says, Kicks me, kick me again, he is essentially saying, kick my supporters again. Trump won't do that. Trump will fight. And most many of his appointees have taken his cue. I think Barr is one of them. He didn't just take his cue. That was Barr from the very beginning. And that's why he's a very excellent choice to be uh, Attorney General. But I, I put more faith in Barr doing something that will actually vindicate um, the Constitution, the rule of law. I think that, look, the greatest deliberative body is going to be deliberating, 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 deliberating. I don't expect a whole lot to come out of it, but at least conduct oversight responsibilities to hold people to account so they know that if they ever do something like this, they're going to be publicly exposed. Number two, it needs to be publicly exposed. Because right now, the media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, are, are running a giant scam on the voting public. That is, they are not covering, they're assiduously avoiding the coverage of the greatest political scandal in American history, and they have been all over and manufacturing things about what wasn't a scandal at all, the so-called Russia collusion hoax, and then after that, the Ukraine hoax. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. Somebody needs I, to, I mean, the, the, the sunlight's the best disinfectant. We need to have that disinfected. But Barr, I believe, along with Durham, there's going to be some criminal indictments, and it's going to be very high. Maybe not the President of the United States, obviously, but it's I did, going to be at the top levels of the administration. Pete, I didn't make that mean to make that a bilateral choice between Graham and Barr, by the way, because you could have gone off the board. And, uh, and the, one of the, the one name that I was thinking of that maybe you and I can talk about more later down the road is Richard Grinnell, because uh, I think yep. he is a guy who has a huge, huge role, plays a huge role Absolutely. in truly achieving, achieving justice. So, yes, sir. Absolutely. Peter Kirsten, out. thank you, my friend, for sticking for the whole hour. I appreciate your wisdom and your insight. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bob. Thanks also to Larry Householder, the uh, House uh, um, a speaker in the State of Ohio General Assembly. He joined us in the first hour. If you missed that, uh, you can catch that and Peter Kirsten now on our uh, podcast page at whkradio.com. Just click the Bob France link, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Enjoy the sun.